Heat from fire, fire from heat. It's Think Outside the Box Set, and I'm Fieldy. I don't understand this reference. <laughs> Fieldy, the bassist for a little band you might have heard of called oh. Corn. Corn with a K? Corn. Yep. About to make fritters out of this album. Oh, we're going to fritter the hell out of it. This is season 23? Oh, shit. Right? I. I mean, I don't know. I think it is. <laughs> You've been taking care of all that paperwork style stuff <laughs> yeah, for so doing long. <laughs> doing our podcast taxes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're Nathan Hunt. I'm Cameron DeWitt. We listen to for discographies now. on this podcast, and we talk about the studio albums of of artists who are misunderstood or... You're right. It is season 22. Uh, but also you... No, it's the last season. Or no, sorry, last season was 23. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yes. We cover artists that have been unrecognized, misunderstood, or dismissed. There but not it necessarily, is. I think it's misunderstood, unrecognized, or dismissed. There That's the, the cano- <laughs> canonical order. Uh, but also, it's the internet's only hot take machine. Yeah. <laughs> and, the, and the internet's only outrage machine. So, this is the first episode of a new season so i want to try to do a little bit more table setting yes let's set the table for the smorgasbord season yeah like a swedish chef it's and it's sort of a potluck it's a potluck smorgasbord and can you explain that metaphor yes um so we i mean we have a discord which the link will be in the show notes if you feel like joining um and for so long we have had a channel where people can like pitch artists for us to cover and we've had so many good suggestions, and that we have roundly ignored, <laughs> we've ignored until almost now. all of them, because <laughs> we're very good and responsive people and good hosts. Um, and it was weighing on me more and more. And I was like, man, we should just like a big reason that we didn't do a lot of these artists is just like there's so many albums, or we feel like we can't bear to spend that much time with all these artists. <laughs> Um, like corn, for instance, can't, won't, or shouldn't. Yeah, <laughs> some like, combination. Could we really listen to corn for ten weeks straight? Um, and we were like, mm, maybe not. Um, so I was like, hey, we should do like a potluck smorgasbord uh, season, and just like take a lot of these good suggestions and just do like a an overview. Like we take one album, or maybe two albums, or maybe like a greatest hits, or like whatever we decide for these artists, and engage with them. Um, but without having to commit, you know, we don't have to, we don't want to marry corn. Uh, we just want to fuck corn <laughs> and then we want to kill corn. Smash mouth. <laughs> 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 yeah. So that's what we're doing. And we're starting with corn and we don't know who we're doing next week. Yeah. So typically on the show, we take the studio album and kind of compare and contrast it to the public image of a recording artist. And we talk about is is the public image and the public perception uh, actually supported by the their ultimately their their main medium, which is music. Yeah, music in a studio album form, right? Um, or at least is the main medium that is available to us. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
we could still do that just without whole dis- discographies. We'll we'll touch on public perception of Corn for one album and talk about uh what what is this one called? Follow Follow the Leader. Mm-hmm. And is this their most popular album yes. or is this their most iconic one or Yes. I believe it's both of those things. Yeah. It has their their highest rated single on it which is uh Freak on a Leash. Um Cameron, what what is your your take, your read? On the public perception of corn, how do, how do you think, like through cultural osmosis, what is what is your picture of them? My picture of them is I feel like they had gas masks at some point, unless that's Slipknot. Slipknot, okay. <laughs> I feel like they had really low hanging guitars and basses, unless that's also Slipknot. I think that's all new metal bands, honestly, okay. and most from that time. My period. impression is that they are new metal, but maybe less rap. <laughs> than a lot of new metal of this era. There's definitely some on this album, but mostly it's guests like Fred Durst or Ice Cube. Or Cheech Marin. Or Cheech. Yeah, those guitars are like knee level. Yeah. They're quite low. (laughs) It's pretty fun. Uh, On Get Up in the Cool, my other podcast, I recently had um, Maddie Whitler on, and she was talking about this video of uh, Bill Monroe. Maddie's a mandolinist for Della May and of her own right as well. So the guy from the bluegrass boys. Yeah. And, uh, Bill Monroe apparently has this video where he, he has his, like, he does a slipknot or he, do, <laughs> he does a chord with his mandolin <laughs> and plays a solo with it all the way down low. And that swings. Hilarious. It yeah. Uh, not the least of which, because a mandolin has a very short neck Yeah, <laughs> and just like physically mechanically is, a lot less suited to do that with than like a bass guitar. Uh, I haven't really. Okay, so Corn. Um, I had an impression that they were Edge Lords. Hmm. Okay. Um, it, of a of a late '90s kind of variety, and that they were d- doing a lot of things that were that that the content of their songs musically and lyrically. Actually, I didn't really know anything about the lyrics. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mostly just knew that the the music was supposed to be kind of upsetting to a Tipper Gore. Yeah, to like a post satanic panic. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like this is uh, music that is not trying to be beautiful or cool or funky or something. This is music that is seems to be uh, eliciting a an aggressive response. Um, that seems mm-hmm. to be aggressive and is a, is about anger and, and dissonance and anxiety, mm-hmm. and uh, that 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 at that time was kind of enough. Uh, <laughs> that that is an artistic ex- statement just to do that, mm-hmm. and I don't think that is necessarily the case anymore. And mm-hmm. I feel like this isn't very um potent for me this album yeah and maybe and maybe it really would have been in the late 90s even if i was an adult uh yeah yeah. i feel like this album came out in 98 i think um is that right i think that's right uh yeah 1998 and their i mean their lead song and their highest rated single highest charting single uh is called freak on a leash which i think yeah, I mean, this is post. Not nearly as kinky as I had hoped it would be. Right, <laughs> honestly, it's not. Doesn't have a lot of kink. Um, I guess this is post like Nine Inch Nails. I want to fuck you like an animal. Yeah, that was like mid nineties, I think. So, I guess it's not the most extreme, but it's still 
it still meant something in 1998 to have a song with tons of airplay widely disseminated called Freak on a Leash, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's something subversive about it. Um, but it's it kind of reminds me of, like, uh, Call Me By Your Name, the mm-hmm. song, Montero. I forget what the song's name is called. The Lil Nas X song that came along. And it's like, it was so impactful because it was doing something uh, that was is culturally subversive, which is to have a massive pop single that is explicitly talking about gay male sex. Right. And that is still not very common. Uh, yes. And there's definitely like a, that song had its moment, but like, also yeah. the music video where he's like giving the rim job to Satan. And like, that was very <laughs> yeah, controversial. I don't, I don't believe he gave Given the old, uh, rusty trombone. <laughs> uh, um, but like, you know, in 10 years from now, I think we'll look back on that song and be like, this song's fine. It's just like a pop song. Mm-hmm. And it was impactful because it was doing something unique at the time. But just because something's unique at the time doesn't mean that is that it is that it will have a value that will like accrue. Right. I mean, and hopefully pop music is pop music is way more gay by then too. I hope so. And, and it's less more like, explicitly less gay. outs like less um less of a standout to have like this is a big pop song and it's about the gays. What? <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I think that's my parent voice, I guess. That's that <laughs> uh, yeah. Normie I mean, voice. Yeah. <clears throat> so, I mean, that's a more kind of like positive example. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this to me is, well, ju- I think just musically, I, th- I think that there's some, some interesting stuff here. I liked it more than I expected to for a lot in a lot of ways. I especially like the drumming. I I was really into the drums. Yeah, speak on that. Um, I thought they sounded cool and good. Which drums? Uh, the ones that were played by the drummer. Um, I have basically zero in of any like intelligent or interesting things to say about drums because I know very little about. I'm going to ask drumming you or uh, what drummers. did you like about the drums in every sound sample. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. I didn't pay attention Defend to the drums yourself. at all. I, I'll be interested to listen into. I recall a lot of like toms and like Jerry's, like, Tom's Jerry's. <laughs> um, a lot of just like um, I don't know. It. I guess I am so used to like rock bands having really boring drums. Sure. And I was like, oh, this is more like um, it's a little more melodic. A, yeah. It's, it, at times, they kind of reminded me of System of a Down a little bit. Sure. Um, not just the drums, but also like songwriting and stuff. Um, I think both System of a Down and Korn, despite their like rapidly shifting song dynamics and like dissonances and provocative nature, like they still have a core of like almost like pop songcraft. Huh. Um, it, it struck me how. Um, the lead singer of Corn on this album moved his voice around at all, which is more than you know. So many like rock sing- singles from like the late '90s and early aughts were like, <laughs> like just like really, just like camping out on the same note for like an entire verse, you know. Car camping, on car the camping, same <laughs> glamping on it yeah. on, on one <laughs> note. <laughs> yeah, I. Uh... 
I was really impressed by a lot of his vocal performances. Uh, he was not afraid to take big swings. Yeah, and I appreciated all the dis... God damn it. We moved <laughs> back to, to take out the trash, Cameron. God damn it. Cameron, to go take out the trash. <laughs> I was going to oh, turn that off. I don't think we mentioned that we're actually recording this uh, in person together at my house in the middle of the street. Um, so Whenever I'd like I to see you try later. to take out the, ca- the trash, Cameron. <laughs> now you have to you have to take out my trash. Uh, <laughs> Joke's on you. I took it out this morning. Ha! Uh, what was I... Fuck, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. There's a lot of, like, decision-making in the vocal delivery. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate that. Just, like, making decisions and, uh, and it kind of pulling it off. And he has this, like kind of two different modes that he goes that mm-hmm. he goes between um it's like a gruff masculine voice mm-hmm. that's kind of like mid you know low low tenor high baritone mm-hmm. and then this sing song femme voice that's sometimes falsetto mm-hmm. and sometimes he goes back and forth between them uh like like almost like yodeling but he's like playing these yeah. kind of like two different characters yeah and it feel sometimes it really feels like it's two different vocalists. And yeah, he, and he jumps back and forth, and it's it's pretty engaging. I guess they also have the a songs. backing vocalist, so it's it's possible that some of that was the backing uh, vocalist at some point. Brian Head Welch. That's the other thing about this band; they all have goofy names. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. I well, I think you missed one of his vocal modes. You're right; he has like the growly masculine, and then like the falsetto, like more femme coded he also has uh his tazzing out mode of course um <laughs> most famously featured on freak on a leash i think yeah he does it three or four times throughout the album mm-hmm. i would say and or at least on three or four tracks and um it actually reminded me a lot of efing are you familiar with the art of efing is that when uh furries get together and rub up on each other <laughs> <laughs> Cameron's just giving me a look. I'm I can't I can't meet their gaze. I'm not I'm not making eye contact. Efing is I believe an Appalachian art form that is a it's kind of like a vocal percussion. Uh but it's unlike a lot of like conventional beatboxing, it's it's more it ha- it has a lot of um <gasps> noises like uh, inward inhale almost like inhaled glottal stops or something uh, so are they or are they not wearing big animal costumes <laughs> that's besides the point is that a coincidence or is they ain't wearing <laughs> animal <worry>. costumes <laughs> uh constituents so um i don't know maybe i didn't have any sound samples of evening but maybe you could pull it up at some point and then we could compare how would you even spell that e-e-f-i-n-g Interesting. I wonder Put that where that incognito mode. word. <laughs> Just in case we get some furries on Just that. Just in case. And do you think I should uh, look on YouTube or yeah. RedTube? <laughs> <laughs> you answered so sincerely. <laughs> you walked right into my little trap. God damn it. Uh... <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll, I'll have that in, on the back burner to see if uh, we okay. want to compare at some point. Um, yeah, so the first couple songs in this album, I was like, oh, I'm like liking this a bit more than I thought I would. 
And then I got pretty tired of it yeah. pretty quickly and started noticing that it's a lot of it's pretty samey sounding the, he kind of has like the, the, the lead singer, Jonathan Davis kind of has like melodic ticks almost where he kind of like writes the same, essentially like same type of chorus or like the same yeah. like contour to the chorus. Um, and yeah, it started, um, wearing on me and it started getting into some pretty rough subject matter and, yeah. uh, lyrical content. <laughs> well, get to that to some extent to some extent yeah well um, should we should we talk about songs yeah oh um, well i had i had one more thing i think to say about corn you, you did a good job like summarizing like their contemporary image at the time and i feel like their image since the the end of the new metal days has kind of been not quite at the same level as like um uh nickelback but I feel like they've kind of been the joke band, like the butt of jokes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I don't know if that's just like the kind of people I've seen, you know, talk about this or whatever, but yeah, I, I felt like corn has been like a punchline. Um, and I think that's somewhat warranted because this is a, a tremendously goofy album. And I think goofy on purpose. I think there's a lot of goofiness on purpose. Yeah. Uh, at times it almost sounds like, a parody or the singer sounds almost like operating in a parody mode. Um, which, and, and I think, I think he's like sometimes doing irony on us or something. Sometimes he's doing doing irony. He's doing (laughs) irony at us. Uh, and sometimes I think he's just, um, very sincerely being very goofy. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah. So let's talk about Gorsh. Gorsh. Uh, let's talk about uh, it's on explanation. You know it's time. Is I keep so a lot of the harmony in this entire album is like half step motion. Mm-hmm. Da, da, da. It's just all like jaws. Yeah. Um, and that can be really engaging, but it, it always returns back to the tonic, like almost immediately. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I, th- I think that that kind of harmony can get, even though it's very, tense mm-hmm. to have like a, a phrygian mode mm-hmm. um or things like that friggin mode <laughs> friggin mode <laughs> uh it i think it gets a little a little grating and the tension is lost because it's um because overdone. they don't yeah it's overdone and they don't actually they've just focused on that one half step resolution uh, the entire time. Yeah. They don't explore any other half steps in the scale or anything like that. You mean? Yeah. There's no, um, no like seventh back to tonic even. Yeah. There, yeah, there's no like, so in a lot of Western music, there's like tonic subdominant dominant, all very kinky. Terms. Yes. Everyone. And then there's down. the freak on the leash. Yeah. And then there's the freak on the leash. <laughs> Uh, but basically it, 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 it's, those terms are referring to 
different uh, harmonic musical functions to um, build, like how how tension is is built and then released uh, or maintained um, in in the harmony of a song, and there's very little um, direction because even though it's very tense, this and this, uh, it. Um, it doesn't go anywhere and it's not developed. Right. Yeah. 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 Uh, and yeah, it gets a little bit like, it feels like slog slogging eventually. Uh-huh. Yeah. For yeah. one song, it can be like kind of cool. And then usually if, if you don't have, you know, harmonic development in, you know, even in like pop ways, uh, you don't have to be Bach to be, in, have interesting harmonic development, you know? And corn is basically, yeah, Bach. basically Bach. <laughs> uh, Usually, you know, it's like, well, there, there, there's other ways that you can develop tension. You can develop tension and rhythm. You can develop, um, or, or maybe it's not about tension and release. Maybe you're doing something else. But um, yeah, I, I don't think there's very much development in this in this music, like rhythmically or or melodically or harmonically. Mm-hmm. And it's mostly just a, a groove that doesn't change. Right. And sometimes they kind of like try to replace some of those devices or dynamics by just like switching to a radically different groove, which is something that uh, system of a down did a lot. Like they would just, you know, have, have four or five distinct parts of each song and they would be just radically different from each other, like different rhythms, different keys and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And I guess the other thing to consider is that, this is peak mosh culture. Oh, and yeah. we can get back into the that idea of you know is this art or craft? Mm. And um, you know when you're at a live show and and there's an electrified band, mm-hmm. uh, and especially one that is heavy, you're probably not going to actually hear that much distinct right stuff anyway. You're mostly just going to feel the drums yeah and hear the distortion and mm-hmm. it's kind of more about that yeah I, I mean this would be fantastic moshing music yeah i've done very little moshing in my life but it does seem like it would be really fun to mosh to this if it was safe and consensual which moshing so often is <laughs> yeah. not either of those things yeah, <laughs> yeah um yeah uh things uh also things that are not developed uh these lyrics yeah, I guess this is a song about self-loathing. I guess. And giving it I to mean, temptation. I think it's mostly a song about poetic bluffs. Uh-huh. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah. It's on. You see, it's my fault. Angels stabbing me inside. Nothing changes. Just rearranges for me this time. Um, I think it might be interesting to talk about Nirvana here for a second. Yeah. Because I think... I... I... I, I I hadn't made the like direct connection between Nirvana and new metal, but so much of this music like comes directly out of Nirvana. I feel like you're going to piss someone off. Probably. With this. I don't, I I feel don't like, care. I feel like it's going to be uh, demeaning in one way or another. I, I think that Nirvana, I don't know how to feel about Nirvana, honestly, like, especially given that we both grew up in the Pacific Northwest, which is Nirvana country. Um, documentary out by uh, somebody Werner Herzog's <laughs> Nirvana country uh um yeah and I think that Nirvana uh, 
sometimes sometimes maybe did like more interesting stuff it's it's been so long since i've like revisited them that i feel like it's hard for me to say but they definitely like were very influential and people took it and ran with it in ways that like this this is not a nirvana song obviously but there's i feel like there's still tons of influence on display Hmm. uh, including some of the lyrics like angels stabbing me inside that feels like he saw the cover of heart-shaped box or in you i guess in utero is the name of the yeah. album and then was like what if that like angel was like stabbing me on the inside yeah is this song about like drugs i have no Taking clue drugs? cameron there's a really bonkers quote about this this song on the genius on the genius oh i don't know if i can pull it up because i'm using my phone i've got it if it's the one that um has the quote from Jonathan Davis in the interview. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he describes the scene in the studio as his vocals were recording. While recording the vocals for album opener, it's on people were getting blowjobs right behind me. There were girls banging each other in front of me. People getting boned in the closet right behind me. Davis tells Scuzz TV in 2013. For his part, he refuses to start the session until producer Toby Wright gets him an eight ball of cocaine. Heartwarming I- scene. Yeah. Um, I I kind of just don't believe this. Yeah, I mean, it sounds very made up. I think this is fake. This feels like uh, this like feels a, like there was one person like making out for ten seconds, like in the corner, and he just like went on this grand like fantasy about it. <laughs> yeah, it. Uh, yeah, I don't believe this. It sounds like I knew kids like this in in school. They'd like transfer in and they didn't want to impress you with shocking stories. And it's like, yeah. this is all very made up. Yeah. And it's like, I mean, it's so transparently just like that, like rock and roll, like party lifestyle, uh, myth making, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's get on to the second song. How about, uh, their biggest song freak on a leash. You hear those drum hits? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah, there was some really good drumming in that sound, sound sample. Yeah, that's cool. Um, I'm just so used to rock drums. I'm like... Like that kind of stuff, and it's I don't know, that fun. was pretty groovy. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, there's a lot of undefined stuff lyrically in this album. He he talks a lot about something, uh, and you know, like there's a ton of that in this song. Something takes a part of me, something lost and never seen. So not only is it something taking a part of him. The part of him is something lost and never seen. So there's two somethings, two yeah. distinct somethings right there. Um, yeah, and he's he has a very very clear statement about the song that it's about the music industry and feeling taken advantage of. Mm-hmm. Uh, what does he say? 
it's about so, how I feel like I'm a fucking prostitute. Like I'm in this freak paraded around, but I got corporate America fucking making all the money while it's taking a part of me. It's like they stole something from me. They stole my innocence and I'm not calm anymore. I worry constantly. I'm not just talking about the record business. Everything's involved. I've lost something. I'm not all there anymore. I love what I do, but I wish I could have it all back. It's like the Peter Pan syndrome. I wish I could still fly. That that sounds like um, someone who's like this close to figuring out uh, what capitalism is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're this close, John. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's, but it's, yeah, he's like, he's still stuck in his swerfy, swerfiness and mm-hmm. feeling entitled to be succeeding at capitalism. Right. Somewhere in there. Oh, holy shit. That's not from an interview. That's from a press release. Oh my God. Wow. Uh, so he felt extremely cool about just uh, being horrifically bigoted towards sex workers as part of a literal press release. Awesome. Yep. Um, speaking of uh, off-color or um, poor choices in, in wording, uh, he, in the verses, he says, uh, every time I start to believe something's raped and taken from me, Mm-hmm. Um, so don't please is what I have to say about that. That's all. <laughs> don't have said that. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess he's, this is like the, I, I guess this ties into his idea of like, that he feels like he's a, a prostitute, that he's giving something, um, irreplaceable and precious away. Um, and that he's being forced to do it. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, is, I just don't think that's true. I mean, I'm I'm sure that he's being taken advantage of, advantage of by the music industry. Um, that's a famously egalitarian business. I don't know what you're talking yeah. about. <laughs> yeah, it's a predatory business, and then it's like there's a fair amount of pimping that goes on in yeah. the music industry. I think it's maybe especially like in the '90s. And well, we are not swerfs, but we're definitely perfs. <laughs> we're pimp exclusionary radical feminists. <laughs> <laughs> um pred- predatory pimping yeah uh perfs p- p- <laughs> um where is it going with sorry this? <laughs> uh <laughs> i totally lost my train of thought uh but it's all worth it because of you invented a new term <laughs> hooray Huzzah. What, what was i gonna say i was gonna say something about um you don't believe him when he says that like something's taken from me yeah i think he i don't think he actually is imagining a true alternative um yeah like i think he i think he does want to be making the music that he's making yeah i don't it doesn't seem like there's a lot of big studio suit interference on this album yeah you know yeah, it seems like the the non-consensual part is like how much money he makes or not. Um, or how it's marketed. Or maybe the production of the album. I know that was like a big deal for Nirvana. They like didn't like how Butch Vig produced Nevermind. Um, they said it was like too shiny and plasticky. I don't know. So I guess that... that but it, yeah, it, on it, it feels like they are making such uh, idiosyncratic music. Yeah. That you can't imagine some like stuffy like VP at like uh, Epic records and Sony just like, well, uh, we got to change up the uh, lyrics in the song and uh, Oh no, we can't have that. Oh, those guitars are too distorted. And like, 
I don't see that happening. Yeah, it it doesn't it doesn't feel to me like it is a good metaphor. Yeah. Uh, even if it was, it would be questionable to use. Yeah. But I yeah, think the the issue is that he's trying to be shocking in a way that is taking away from him actually expressing himself mm-hmm. uh, or expressing uh, a thing that's more interesting. Yeah. Or more personal to him. Right. And he's going for something that is uh, cheaper, but ultimately distracting. Yeah. And uh, I think that's kind of a, kind of a bummer. And, it, and it's not that like, there's no value. I mean, it can be valuable to do something shocking or to, to be subversive or to be upsetting right. on purpose. I'm not saying mm-hmm. that that's um, wrong to do. I'm just saying, if you're going to do that, you should earn it by having the, you know, if you're doing that with lyrics, you should have the text actually support right. what you're trying to say. Mm-hmm. And meaningless, shocking stuff or like poetic bluffs yeah. are like, yeah, I'm just kind of lazy and, mm-hmm. um, yeah. I, and, and, and gross in a like, oh, you're trying to manipulate me. Yeah. Uh, and why won't you just trust me to care about the idea that about what's important to you yeah it's almost like you don't trust me and you also don't trust the statement you're making really yeah you know um he does try to change up the metaphor to a certain degree in the second verse which is where the title of the song comes from feeling like a freak on a leash feeling like i have no release how many times have i felt diseased nothing in my life is free is free um it's so funny how in the 90s there is i feel like there is so much imagery of like uh, like dominatrix imagery that was like combined with like weird like disease and like maybe I'm just like thinking of like aesthetics of like music videos and maybe some movies and stuff but I remember there being a lot of that in the 90s and making it seem like so crazy and like sick and perverted and fucked up yeah. and I'm so glad our culture has moved beyond that because it's like such an innocuous thing when it comes out like it's it's like dressed in the clothes of something shocking you know but it's so innocuous and it's i mean all that stuff is like so about consent in a way that is like kind of heartwarming (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) well do we have anything else to say about oh well oh yeah yes we've got we've got his most uh widely played uh instance of tazzing out in the whole uh, corn discography, I think. The key change there. This is actually pretty engaging. Yeah. Yeah, that's. Uh, I think that's a great example of something that uh, a, an uptight like VP would have been like. Let's just cut this part, okay? <laughs> I don't understand what's happening here. Yeah, yeah. this is sort of like a pre-Regina Specter. <laughs> <laughs> she does some similar kind of <laughs> stuff in some of her songs. Yeah, I mean, she's talked at length about how Corn is one of her biggest influences. <laughs> um, uh, I think. 
of the corn eating uh that is one of one of the least interesting moments of it because he's basically kind of he's just doing like a 332 rhythm like do that do that do that do that uh but yeah. there's some other moments where he really mixes it up and he does that rhythmic stuff a lot more melodically mm-hmm. um but it is pretty arresting especially at that point yeah. in the song it's like excuse me <laughs> excuse <laughs> <What>? you <laughs> what did you say what yeah. did you call me yeah he said humbap mdatina yeah it's uh i don't know i think it's interesting and i think it's very hansen in a way yeah <laughs> oh there's a hansen shout out on one of these songs oh my god i yeah. forgot about that hooray uh yeah i i think it's great <laughs> i think it's like i think it sounds really interesting it's certainly novel like you, nobody had done this on like mainstream rock radio anything like this before that i that i i mean that i think i know of at least yeah he's doing this kind of like throat singy growl mm-hmm. almost he's going <clears throat> like that yeah and he's like hitting overtones mm-hmm. when he does it and it's pretty interesting yeah it's a bonkers sound um i pulled up a video of little and phelps greatest hits so this is this is a, a combination of i mean apparently they were on like hee-haw a lot uh which holy shit that show ran from 1969 to 1992 oh wow that's pretty bonkers um and so this is going to be efing and hambone and oh, so like ha- hambone is like body percussion yeah. like slapping and doing wacky shit to your own body um so let's let's take a listen that's one person so this is like a very like sort of fetishized like comedy version of it uh i think there's some other examples i think it might be there's banjo ben clark i think it might be originally like an african-american like tradition let's see what banjo ben clark has to say with teaching efing okay it i mean it sounds less like just a guy having a really bad time like than the first one that we listened to he just sounded like he was having an episode of some kind (laughs) someone help Uh, that man you, you know what it sounds like is it sounds like that um like bonkers uh brazilian uh percussion instrument that has like the 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 straw or what's it called i don't know but it has like a sounds like a 7-eleven slurpee uh yeah uh, yeah you like yeah you you, i think it's a membrane (laughs) yeah yeah uh no that's a donkey you're thinking (laughs) (laughs) no it does like a membrane and i think it literally has a straw in it uh percussion instrument with i think it's like o-u-i-c-a o I think it's called like a, a, a week a weeka or something. I don't know how to. You think of a weeka board? Portuguese words at all? Uh, I don't think that's what it is. Ah, oh, damn. Uh, um, 
Well, maybe we'll find it put in the show notes, but probably not. Quika, you were one letter off. Okay. C U I C A. Oh, great. <laughs> mm. It sounds like a dog. It does. Okay. So, yeah, that's what that reminds me of. Anyhow. All right, what's next? Um, should we talk about Got the Life? Yeah. Okay. Wow, the genius claims that the track was originally based off a disco beat and serves almost like a fuck you to other metal bands trying to copy their pioneered sound. Yeah, I kind of appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what other new metal band has a disco beat? You know? <laughs> what is uh what is this song about? Th- there's more somethings. Hate, something, sometimes, some way, something kick off the front floor. Mine, something inside I'll never, ever follow. So give me something that is for real I'll never, ever follow. Get your boogie on. Get your boogie on. Hate something some way each day. Dealing with no forgiveness. Why this shit inside? Now everyone will follow. So give me nothing. Just feel. And now this shit will follow. I think that's pretty self-explanatory. Just a lot of, like, uh, pronouns with no antecedents. Yes. Uh, something, sometime, anything, something, hate, no forgiveness. Everyone will follow, but I'll never ever follow. Yeah. Hmm. This shit will follow. Um, There's paging in this song. A bit yes, anachronistic. That's really funny. The chorus, God paged me. You'll never see the life. Who wants to see? God told me I've already got the life. Oh, I say God paged me. You'll never see the life. Who wants to see? God told me I've already got the life. Oh, I say. Yeah, this doesn't mean anything to me. <laughs> I don't care about this. Yeah. Um, the uh, verse two seems like a little bit more coherent. Uh, each day I can feel it swallow inside something they took from me. I don't feel your deathly ways. Each day I feel so hollow inside. I was beating me. You will never see. So come dance with me. 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 Me. Um. Yeah, so, I don't know, it seems vaguely like a song about being able to enjoy life or something, and, like, feeling exploited or, like, drained in some way. Such victims, these corn boys. Yeah, that is one of the interesting things about, to me, about, like, 90s alternative rock. Mm. Um, And this is something that I think, like, again, Nirvana was influential in. Um, because so much of the rock, rock of like the eighties was just big time macho posturing, even while they had like oftentimes very femme like presentation and like yeah. long flutes up hair. Yeah. Still. Yes. Masculine. I guess. Yeah. Sort of. Um, yeah, but it was, it was so much. Even like, when they're fucking other men. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a well, so you're saying that's not masculine. Yeah. In some ways it's the most masculine thing you can yeah. do. Think about it. <laughs> um yeah so yeah there's just like um i mean i referenced poison earlier uh i think off mic um yeah that that kind of band and uh nirvana just like completely broke that entire 
like strain of music um and quickly made all, a lot of those like hair hair metal i think is the yeah the like uh, genre i was looking for um made them so irrelevant and uh nirvana is very emotional music yeah i think some people could describe it as uh whiny yeah it's or a- angsty and part of that angst is like dwelling on one's yeah victimhood yeah and i mean a lot of it comes out in like anger and aggression but there is a certain vulnerability i think in um being open about your pain in that way Mm -hmm. and i think that that was something that was not really present in a lot of like rock in the previous like couple decades um at least like mainstream rock stuff and yeah i i mean it's all over this song of like you know, I feel like, you know, uh, he, he feels like uh, he'll never follow. He stuff has been taken from him. He feels so hollow to say I feel so hollow, like seems inconceivable for, you know, like ACDC to say, unless they're <laughs> talking about how they just fucked like 15 girls and now they just feel like really tired and they got no more jizz in them or whatever. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Uh, We got hollow balls. (laughs) Hollow balls. (laughs) Oh yeah. Um, Yeah. So that is something interesting. I think about uh, 90s alternative music is the emotionality of it. And yeah, again, like a lot of it is expressed in some like really antisocial ways or, you know, probably uh, ways that were like encouraging bad dynamics or were like self-indulgent or what have you. But yeah, and um, I feel like a lot of the emotions in this album are unprocessed. Yes, for or sure. they're they're mid process at best. Yeah. And I guess that could be useful to to some to somebody. Yeah, uh, I think a lot of like adolescent young men in the '90s yeah. were really drawn to this kind of music, probably because of that. Yeah, they don't necessarily want to listen to someone who's on the other side of it, right? You know, um, they have enough of that, and they're, you know, listening yeah. to their fucking dad. <laughs> <laughs> you know, who, they, who we all know. Fathers are famous for uh, being very good at processing emotions. Right. And well, it's, they don't want someone who's emotion. like, you know, uh, who has perspective. Yes, exactly. Uh, they, they want commiseration. Yeah. So yeah. I, there's almost a, a feeling like I, when I hear this kind of thing, I almost wonder is like, is this pandering? Is, yeah. You know, it's a good question. <laughs> Can you make a whole career of like unprocessed? I mean, it kind of, I feel like Alanis Morissette kind of did it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> but mm-hmm. I don't necessarily know if it was, if she was trying to pander or not, but yeah. Yeah. It's a thing that I'm not super interested in. Um, consuming yeah. is, mm-hmm. uh, people mid process. I'm interested in that in different mediums. Like I like a movie watching someone mm. who's mid process and there's sort of you know they're trying to figure stuff out mm-hmm. uh but usually in a movie they're gonna go somewhere with it and you can right. kind of like 
but that that kind of character development usually doesn't happen in an album or in a song right you know so yeah this kind of thing is pretty unsatisfying to me but i can understand how it would be useful to someone yeah i mean it does feel like kind of inherently inherently like limiting um because i mean i guess this is like sort of a judgmental thing to say but it feels so adolescent that it seems almost intended for people to grow out of you know yeah and also like even if you're mid-process there are more artful ways of describing angst yeah or for describing sure. anxiety or whatever and uh i mean is... i i think alanis is a great example of that like her yeah her expression of like angst and anger on jagged little pill is super compelling yeah although i would say that i feel like well, not universally but it feel it yeah. feels processed already it feels like it's still present uh uh-huh. but it feels like she's like she's you might be right. They they feel so like those songs feel so clean in that album and so purposeful. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, that she, it feels like she's pulling up an old emotion, but talking about it with pers- enough perspective to really deliver the idea. I don't know. Hmm. And then she never really gets that again. Yeah. <laughs> uh, see what season three for <laughs> more Atlantis. Yeah, that was pretty early, yeah. wasn't it? Um. There's a cool Hemiola in this, uh, in or it's not that cool, but he keeps it going for a while, and I think that's interesting for lyrics. Do you want to quickly vocalist. define what a Hemiola is? Yeah, so um, a Hemiola is any grouping of beats or subdivisions um, that doesn't line up neatly with, uh, inside of one measure. Mm-hmm. Um, so most of this music is in a four-four time, and um, depending on how you count it, I think he does uh, dotted quarter notes. And you know, you can fit two dotted quarter notes in a measure. The third one is going to be a quarter note tied to an eighth note because it goes across the measure line. Mm-hmm. And um, he keeps the dotted quarter notes going for a while. And uh, it's in rhythmic tension with the rest of the band. And then he eventually um, uh, rounds it off with a plain quarter note. So it's groups of three mm-hmm. uh, eighth note durations. Mm-hmm. And then it, it's rounded off with a group of two, if I remember right. Cool. Uh, yeah, so check out the Hey Yeah. Oh yeah, he he finishes it off with a big mm-hmm. done two three four with just a plain measure. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, if you're doing groups of three, they will because of common denominators and stuff. They will line like he does the hemiola until it until it ends until its natural end, which is three measures, mm-hmm. and then he does the like high voice femme thing. Mm-hmm outside of the hemiola and that's where he rounds it off mm-hmm. so i thought that was interesting i don't hear yeah. that a lot in lyrics right yeah so it's kind of that's interesting yeah he only does it once in the song he does it a, a shorter version of it later which i think was in your original sound sample okay yeah that that kind of feels like sort of a system of a down moment too yeah yeah 
Um, you want to play Rum Buddy Boo? <laughs> I don't remember. What yes. That is. <laughs> <laughs> it's so like dramatic, but then there's just this like kind of Looney Tunes ish like Rum Buddy Boo, Rum Buddy Boo. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like ICP. Yeah. <laughs> there's. There's definitely some moments on this album that feel uh, very ICP, including the next song, which is called Dead Bodies Everywhere. Uh, I don't have... We should, you know, be moving quicker, I think. Uh, And also, I don't have much to say about the song, but maybe we can just hit the sound sample at least. Dead Bodies Everywhere. Speaking of adolescent angst and not having processed it at all. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Don't understand, Dad. (laughs) Chorus is, hate a sick mom with a fucked dad. Dealing with your life, dead bodies everywhere. You really want me to be a good son? Why you make me feel like no one? So. That sucks. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, I mean, you hate to you hate to hear it. You hate to hear. It. I'm. Sh- I mean, I'm sure it's like a valid emotion, and I'm sure his parents were kind of dicks to him about it. Probably, I would imagine. Um, and yeah, again, like the the feeling of like feeling like your parents are making you feel like no one is, I think, uh, valid, and you know, something that um, a lot of people go through. So yeah, the the emotionality of this music is. Um, interesting, but uh, you want to move on to Children of the Corn? Yeah, Ice Cube is it Ice Cube or Ice Tea on this one, or Vanilla Ice? <laughs> Which one? One of the, or is it ISIS, or is it Ice? <laughs> the immigration and whatever enforcement. There's a collaboration we all need. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny how they bring Ice Cube onto the the track, and a lot of the time he's mostly acting like a hype man. Like they only let him do right. a little bit of rapping. Right. I guess I guess he gets two verses. Yeah. Yeah, and he's maybe three. Fuck the law with my dick in my hand. We coming rough. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. Interesting. Hmm. Uh, um. This, this is a song about, I guess, being violent and being sexual. It's very ICP. Yeah. It's, it begins with, attention all parents, report to your local therapist, report to your local church, report to your local police department, it's going down. That sounds like it's right out of a uh, yeah. like Shaggy 2 Dope, just like clowning. <laughs> what do you make of this first verse? Oh boy. Glaring into my son's eyes reveals a pain. I felt her in the day. It was all about the pussy, if you can get it. A little girl like me never fucking liked it. This is the start of he does some stuff like this later on in the album where mm-hmm. he's sort of 
portraying himself as like a queer coded villain um, or bending gender in a way that feels like it's supposed to be shocking as opposed to introspective. Yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. Like I don't actually necessarily like believe that this is coming from an honest place in him or, and I don't, I don't see the purpose in the text of this. I mean, I, yeah, it, it seems like he's trying to portray some sort of character. I mean, the children of the corn is about like, uh, I mean, I guess it's on the genius right there. Uh, a young couple who find themselves in an abandoned town in Nebraska. The only people there are a cult of demon worshiping children who stay in the nearby cornfields. Hence the title. Have you seen it? I saw the movie when I was in like high school and didn't like it very much. I thought it was fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I saw it recently. Yeah. I was like 17. So who, I mean, I, I knew less than dumb, nothing. So who even knows? Um, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure Jonathan Davis himself does not have a son at this point. So I think, yeah. But it again, there's like so many pronouns without antecedents and like just completely undefined stuff. Yeah. I felt her in the day. Who's her and which day? It was all about the pussy if you can get it. Okay. Uh, a little girl like me never fucking liked it. Liked what? <laughs> yeah. The, that it was all about the pussy? No. Is that what the thing you didn't like? I don't know. I mean, I could, I mean, understandable, honestly, <laughs> yeah. if, if so. <laughs> I don't like it either. <laughs> I don't fucking like it. Um, I, uh, I, I, and the children are born. You feel it through me. I, I, you're the children of the corn. Yeah, this, this feels like an attempt to like pump up their fan base almost, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, it feels pretty directionless in the text itself, uh, but. Well, maybe we should wrap up. Um, yeah, I. Um, we could briefly touch on pretty track seven. Yeah, we didn't get a sound sample for that one. Cameron actually texted me a, a, a content <laughs> warning about it, which I appreciated. Um, it's really rough. It's about something horrific that Jonathan Davis maybe actually claims to have seen yeah. while working as like a hospital attendant or something like that. Um, but he mostly just like describes it in imagery yeah. and doesn't really do much with it. And I think that there's a little bit of editorializing, but it's mostly like, wow, this sucks. Yeah. This is bad that this <laughs> yeah. happened. Um, which I mean, great. What? I mean, yeah, I, I think that there's definitely, it definitely like raises a lot of questions about his intentions and the value of art that is about like the worst stuff in the world. Like if you're going to write a song about the most depraved thing that has ever happened, what, 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 well, one, why? Yeah. Uh, To what end? Um, Like, is it just for him? Is it helping him process it? Or is he just sensationalizing it and using it as like, you know, the same way Slayer would use hypothetical of like a river of corpses or whatever the fuck, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I kind of suspect that it's a made up story Mm -hmm. um, and that he is just getting a, a sort of dark thrill out of going somewhere dark for the sake of it. Yeah. Um, And uh, he really seems like he does a lot of fantabulizing and and exaggerating he reminds me of um 
Dermot from the Venture Brothers. <laughs> That's sort of how I picture him. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I don't specifically want to make room for this song, but there's there's a part of me that like wants to make room for dark ideation, intentional dark ideation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think kind of like especially in such a like. Se- sensorial is that a word uh, i think so time like in in the 90s in mm-hmm. a like pre-internet ubiquity. oh you mean like censored not like yeah uh, the, like sensual oh, yeah, senses yeah. yeah okay yeah censorous <laughs> i don't know <laughs> um yeah like uh i think that there is a a kind of power in allowing yourself to dwell in places where people won't go or won't follow you yeah um i i that's the closest i can get to like kind of making space for this Uh uh-huh um however i don't necessarily really like trust his intentions and i think he's i think he's being manipulative i I don't think it's about him trying to you know (laughs) i think I think he's trying to make other people feel things. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, this song reminded me of the song John Wayne Gacy Jr. Sufjan Stevens. Yeah. It, has, it has similar subject matter. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was like, is there a way to do a song about this kind of thing? Mm-hmm. And then I was like, well, Sufjan made a song about the subject matter and I don't know how I feel about it. It is a very compelling song and it is a very beautiful song. Yes. Like it's a breathtakingly gorgeous song in its Mm -hmm. arrangement and melody. Um, And there is something that is, there is a rhetorical purpose in the song, which is to humanize a monster. Yeah. And I think that there's, that maybe that alone is valuable mm-hmm. um, in a way like that. There's something valuable there in that song that is not present in pretty from follow the leader, the yeah. album that we're covering. Uh, so there's like a, a reason to go there with, right. With the, the author. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, yeah. I still skip it most of the time because I don't really feel like listening to it. Yeah. Also <laughs> he ends it with a, like just, thuddingly um heavy-handed uh moral of the story which feels very like um christian self-loathing core where he says in my best behavior i'm really just like him look beneath the floorboards for the secrets i have hit very like pauline like yeah uh i've heard that people i've heard people say that like that is about him being a, a a closeted gay man uh, which, um, that which, seems problematic to say, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think maybe... <sighs> I've heard queer people say that that, that, that song okay. maybe means that. And I guess there's a reading where you could say, like, he is looking... He's a closeted gay man looking at this, um, I get maybe a, a severely repressed gay man. I mean, there's a lot of yeah, reasons why. I mean, who knows? Yeah, like who knows? Yeah, especially like for child molesters, like right. people who 
like our abusers in that way it's it's so much it's not about like sex or sexual orientation so much as just like power you know yeah i mean it's hard i i don't know you know <laughs> i've, heard, I've know. heard a lot of different ideas about that okay. kind of thing huh. uh that's for some people it is the the impulse is akin to like an orientation or something oh like the pedophile rights movement or like that kind of thing yeah or that there is something like that you can't do about it well like about feeling the impulse you know um yeah but i mean i even the uh, even the rhetorical like it's not about sexuality it's about power it's like but that's like so much of sexuality it's it seems like Uh, a really slippery anyway uh yeah I don't know what the last line of John Wayne Gacy Jr. is supposed to be about. Mm-hmm. And it always makes me sort of go like, are you sure? Are you I don't sure? Know. Are you sure about that? Well, That's yeah. why? <laughs> yeah. I feel like there's enough like humanizing in the rest of the song that I've always been kind of perplexed by it. But all of that is to say, that's an example of a song that has a rhetorical purpose that's mostly artfully stated yeah uh, and pre- presented and this song is just depiction of it's it's kind of i mean the way i felt listening to it was like someone um was like hey watch this video and then it's like a snuff video right yeah yeah, yeah. and i was like i didn't fucking want to watch this yeah uh it's like i you know i'm on facebook and i saw a video before you know the content moderators got to it right which has happened every once in a while it's like jesus christ why what am i seeing here Mm -hmm. uh it's i'm grateful to say it's only happened a couple times but um you know it happens but um anyway i am very suspicious of this is named jonathan davis yeah yeah, I don't think this story is true. John Wayne Davis Jr. <laughs> I I think he I think he's just trying to get a rise out of his listeners, and I think he's trying to kind of coast on a, a like dark fascination and like uh, the kind of like rubbernecking yeah. that comes with um, not having access to anything that's upsetting, and is like this is the one thing that I you know I have on this. This is the one thing in, like that talks about this, and no one else is talking about this. And it's right. like I have this CD, and I can go listen to this like dark thing. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, it's like a very pre-internet kind of yeah, <laughs> yeah, kind of uh, secret kind of fantasy. Like when I'm it's imagining like people listening to it, faces of death getting passed around on like VHS tapes, uh-huh. like <laughs> fifth hand, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, we should I guess basically wrap up there. Um, I did want to play um, a sound sample from the song Seed. Okay. Because uh, this is this is the moment where he, like, fully tazzes out and, uh, yeah, goes beast mode. I can't hear that and not just picture Taz <laughs> from the Looney Tunes just doing his thing. Uh, uh, that's so amazing. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, the back half of this album, 
it was a bit of a slog to get through. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my verdict on corn. Better than I expected it would be. More interesting in some ways than I ex- expected it would be. Better drumming than I expected. Um, but ultimately, not for me. I don't think they deserve their status as like the butt of the joke necessarily for like yeah. people. But I, I don't know. I, d- I don't think I'd argue that they're unrecognized or dismissed necessarily. Yeah. Well, do you have any ideas for next week? I haven't looked at the um at the Discord. I could take in a, a quick peek at the Discord and see if there's one that immediately jumps out to me. Or um I can also look at it at it if you want to start doing the the end of the show spiel. Um I'm going to go all the way back to the ver- wow, there's so many good submissions. Um Prolific vi- film or video game composers was suggested by Snivitz. Interesting. Hans Zimmer, John Williams, disaster piece. I, I don't think I would have, I would feel like I would have very little to say on that episode. Okay. Yeah. Like no a, any, any sort of it. instrumental. Um, Maddie Parr uh, suggested Daniel Johnston at the same time as Korn. Um, uh, yeah, that could be good. How about. I'm seeing Manson, which would maybe be on a, on a similar level. There's uh also he was just like very canceled recently, so maybe we should yeah. just steer clear of that. He's like a big time like sexual assault guy, right? Yeah. He's that's his thing. Um uh there's the Flectones, uh Big Country, the Traveling Wilburys. Oh, yeah, Paul Bo Brookins uh suggested maybe way back in the day he, they said, um, if you wanted a little break between seasons, if you could do a few one-offs on a supergroup album, like the Traveling Wilburys. Yeah. Oh, someone is someone. Uh, Mime Jelly recommended um, BTS, and I would actually be interested What's in BTS, the like mega K-pop group. I oh. would actually be interested in covering that for a whole season, depending on how many albums they have. Oh, let me check. Um, yeah, that that's one of those things that I think has. Um, obviously like incredibly popular in their own country but also like has i think tons of like k-pop has gotten very popular on lots of places on the internet that i am just like not connected to they have five korean language studio albums and four japanese language studio albums huh interesting so nine total and they're different albums looks like it wow interesting well, we'll have to figure out what we're going to do next. Uh, but there's a lot of cool ideas here. Someone wanted us to listen to Captain Beefheart. Um, How could you even hear a Beefheart? It'd be so tiny. <laughs> Let's do Captain Beefheart. Uh, Trout Mask Replica. Okay, great. We haven't listened to that before, have we? I think we. it was on one of our brackets. <sighs> That's what it was. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, let's yeah, listen we'll, to Yeah, we'll listen Beefheart. to one album. Sounds great. That's like their most prominent one. So, yeah, we'll do that one. Perfect. Um, oh, I gotta figure out how to pull up my, or maybe I'll just try doing it from memory. Hey, uh, thanks for listening, uh, everyone. Um, until next week, you can find us online at boxset.website. Email us at Tobias Podcast. No, wait, hang on. Tobias, no, um, fuck. Email at boxset.website. Tweet us at Tobias Podcast. Uh, go on our Discord. The link will be in the show notes. Um, if you want to support us, you can do so in a couple of different ways. You can tell people about the show. You could rate uh, the and review the 
show, especially on like Apple Podcasts or whatever. Um, you can also give us money, which is great and delicious for us. If you you can go to our Patreon to support box at the website, you'll get access to all of our bonus materials, including a weekly mini show that has been going on for many years now. Yeah. That has so many hot takes and interesting things about all kinds of different stuff. It's mostly a culture club. This week, we've talked about two very good and very different, but also have some certain things in common. Uh, animated movies. Uh, tur- Turning Red and Only Yesterday. Yes. The Pixar and Takahata films, yes. respectively. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so go to support.box.website, kick us a few bucks, and you can listen to all that stuff. Uh, the other thing you should be listening to is Cameron's other podcast. It's called Get Up in the Cool. Yeah, just get get all get all up in there. Get all up in those cool, cool guts. And uh, <laughs> make <laughs> and make sure that you're uh, following Tall Poppy String Band. Uh, oh yes, uh, we're probably gonna start releasing you know singles and and getting ready for Ooh. our debut album. So follow us on all the social media places. Hell yeah! Yeah, cool. All right. Well, until next week, I've been Monkey Schaefer, and I'm basically Bach. And I'm uh, <laughs> and I'm Cameron DeWitt, and I'm doing a irony. <laughs> <laughs>